the Culture Guy Podcast. New episode with a new story. A story that unfolded in line getting coffee. And it involved soccer. Or let's call it football. Welcome back. This is Christian, the Culture Guy, and this is the Culture Guy podcast, a format, a program where we talk about crossing cultures, be it for work or for love or for life in general. And today I would like to share a story with you and an individual or an individual story, to be more precise, of a gentleman that I met a while ago while waiting in line getting coffee. It was in Atlanta, and there's this gentleman right in front of me at a well-known international coffee chain. Yes, sue me. I once in a while go get my coffee there as well. And this gentleman was of a quite darker complexion, so he was not African-American. He looked as if he were, at least uh, from the outer uh, appearance, from the Indian subcontinent. Yet he was wearing a Chelsea shirt. For those of you who are familiar with the Premier League football slash soccer. So Chelsea is one of those top teams from London. And I figured, hmm, is this gentleman probably British? Um, He's a fan of Chelsea. So me being a football fan, and those of you who don't know this yet, the one sport that I will always watch would be soccer slash football. And so... I strike up a conversation. So how is this your team? How come you're a Chelsea fan? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. So that's how often I get to know new people because of the sport that we share. So this gentleman tells me that he just happened to become a Chelsea fan when he went to school in Great Britain. In fact, he went to school in Scotland. So I was like, okay, how did you end up liking a London soccer team? In any case, turns out that He was not British, and he was not from the Indian subcontinent either. And after a while, we realized that both of our native language was German. The gentleman is Shudip Khan, and I'm probably butchering his name. Forgive me, Shudip, when when you're listening to this. He is from Austria, born and raised, and he is the child of immigrants from Bangladesh. And I thought, wow, this could be a great story. And so it was when we sat down to talk about it. Welcome, Shudeep Khan. Am I saying your name properly? Close enough. <laughs> well, how do you say it? Shudeep Khan would be the Bengali way of saying it. Shudeep. But I go by Sudip. Sudip. Well, obviously, you're not in Bangladesh right now. You're in the U.S., and that's where we're meeting today in Atlanta, which is both our hometown right now. Um, your family is originally from Bangladesh, but you weren't born there. You were born in? So I was born in Vienna back in 
in the 80s. Yeah. So you're a Austrian-born Bangladeshi. Austrian-born Bangladeshi, yes, that would be right. However, your citizenship is Austrian. And Correct. So originally I was actually a Bangladeshi citizen until I want to say I was about 14 years old. But I was born in Austria, and so still see myself as Austrian. Well, and you told me earlier that you also did your military service. You went to serve in the Austrian Bundesheer. So you are you, you you served your country and your country apparently is Austria. There you go. And for most Austrians you probably don't look like a typical Austrian. No, not at all. In fact, uh, there've been many occasions where I was in Austria and people have asked me, you know, that same old question that you get, well, where are you from? And you mm. You, even if you tell them you're from Austria, they still ask you the same question the second time and say, but where are you really from? <laughs> and then you give them the same answer. And I say, well, if I want to be difficult, I will say I'm from here. But usually I understand what that means. It, Does that get to you after a while, being, that, being asked that? I think it does. Um, you know, I don't get asked the same question over here in the U.S. And I think uh, I never got asked that question while I was in the U.K. either. Um, but, uh, yeah, in Austria, they, they've not made that leap yet. They still believe that an Austrian is white and potentially blue-eyed and blonde. But <laughs> Did you ever wear the traditional garb in Austria? Do you own a pair of Lederhosen or a checkered shirt or whatever? <laughs> no. Whatever you need to have to qualify? I, uh, no, I don't. Never wore Lederhosen in my life, but uh, yeah, definitely enjoy Austrian beer. <laughs> Good. You, and you go to the Heurigen and drink your yeah, yeah, freshly yeah. made wine. There you go. How, what about skiing? Yep, skiing too. Um, All right. I, I enjoy skiing. Um, yeah, but we used to go skiing with the school occasionally, but my family was never really into it, so it was more so something that we did privately with friends. But I think it's mandatory for any Austrian to know how to ski, otherwise your passport will be revoked, right? Is it right? Skiing and the Walzer, yeah? Oh, you have to dance the waltz. All right, all right. There you go. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And you, you would have to be able to recite all the major Mozart compositions, right? No. That, that too. Okay. There's a test when you, we apply for citizenship. All right. So <laughs> all, all, all joking aside. So here, here we have a darker complexion, brown skinned Austrian who had to justify his existence. Mm -hmm. Why are you here? Where are you from? Um, and I know that you went to college or to university in St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, you don't roll your R's as I was expecting you to, but that's all right. Um, was being um, non-Scottish in Scotland an issue? Did they see you as an Austrian in Scotland or did they see you as a Bangladeshi in yeah, Scotland? Interesting point. So I think because there's such a huge um, Asian or in the UK, sub, I guess, subcontinental um, presence in in the UK um, I think people saw me first as Bengali mm -hmm. or Bangladeshi um, but when they heard me speak they realized right away that I was not really from there so it must be something different mm -hmm. and a lot of times for some reason people thought that I was Scandinavian um, and uh, 
I guess they never expected somebody from you know Austria to speak with more of an American accent. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I always felt like I was a little different from everyone else, and nobody could really pinpoint where I belonged. Where did you get your accent in English? So my, my accent actually changed several times over the years. Um, when I was in Austria, I went to an international school. Our teachers were from all over the place. We had teachers from Ghana, we had teachers from Pakistan, we had teachers from Australia, I mean, UK, you name it, um, American, Canadian teachers. Um, so the accent was always mixed up. Everybody had this unique kind of international school accent. So it was not mandatory like a Queen's English, British English that they would force upon you in the school? Not at all. So it was defined by whoever your instructor teacher was? Yeah, and in fact it was, def it, you could choose what kind of spelling you wanted to use as well, oh. um, American or English or even both at the same time. It was not considered a mistake if you wrote something with an I, with a Z as opposed to an S at the right. end. Or a um, theater with an R-E or E-R at the end. Correct, right, or center, same thing. Um, and so, yeah, I, being in, in an international environment like that, I grew up with a bit of a mixed up accent. When I moved to the UK, even though I was in Scotland, I somehow picked up a British accent, like an English accent. Mm. Um, and so even until this day, some words I'll say here and there, like for example, literally, I say it the British way. I don't, I, I've never switched out of it. When I moved, first moved over here, I noticed that I also said schedule for a very long time. Oh, right. That's and, very Londonish. Right. And yeah. nobody understood that over here. So, and then now that I've been living here for about 15 years, you know, so it's naturally switched over to... Well, your R's roll like Southern drawl R's right now. Yes. That's what some people say. So when I moved, well, I, I go to Vienna all the time, and when I meet with friends that I've gone to high school with, they'll point out that I sound very Southern. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I don't feel that way, but, you know, you, if, if 20 people tell you that you sound Southern, you probably sound Southern. And did you ever sound like the stereotypical... Um, Southeast Asian, whether it be Pakistani, Indian, or Bangladeshi, who have that very distinct accent in their English, did you ever sound like that? I knew, you know what, I didn't. Although um, I have heard that when I'm extremely, extremely tired or drunk, mm -hmm. that sometimes it does slip out a little bit. But growing up, I've never known to speak my known myself to speak like that. Mm -hmm. And the, another strange thing about that is that growing up, I always thought that my dad, my parents didn't actually, my dad in particular, that I thought, I thought he didn't have an accent. Then when I moved to the UK, and more so when I moved to the US and then went back to Vienna just to visit and talk mm -hmm. to him, I realized that his accent was very thick. Okay. And it's, it's strange that I never picked that up when I actually lived in Austria. I only picked, only noticed that when I moved away and then came back. Isn't that fascinating? You have to leave, as a fish, you have to leave your own native pond yeah. to see a different type of water. Yeah. Uh, they say that fish cannot see water, but once you're outside of your native pond, you're still in water. Yeah. It has a different temperature, it tastes a little different, and yeah. the light reflections through it are different. So some, somehow you realize what you take for granted isn't always what you thought it is, right? That's true. Yeah. So you feel more like an Austrian now that you've lived outside of Austria when you come back. Yeah. What stands out most to you? When I move, go back to Austria, mm. I think 
a lot of cultural aspects really stand out. Um, you know, in our previous conversation, we we're talking about how I was I, I was in Austria recently and I was, I was looking for a job over there and interviewing, and I noticed that the pace of work is very different. How so? They tend to be a lot slower. Mm -hmm. Things have to, there's, it's a lot more bureaucratic. Things have to go through the proper checks and approvals before you actually move on to the next step. And over here, um, you know, if something is uh, holding up a decision in any way, it gets tackled, you know, right there and right then. And, and people are given the autonomy to make those decisions to move on, move forward. Um, so I, I noticed that quite a bit. And I also noticed that, uh, again, from a work perspective, people see their work time as work time in Austria. And then once the five o'clock mark gets hit, it just you just shut off and you're back into you know your personal world. In German, in the German language, say Dienst is Dienst and Schnaps is Schnaps, or <laughs> Achtel is Achtel, um, which basically translates to work is work and off the clock is off the clock, and you drink. Yep. And you don't mix the two worlds, right? Absolutely not. And in Austria, it, I'm assuming having not having lived in Austria, but having been around Austrians all my childhood and adult life. It's rather similar to the southern parts of Germany, at least, where um, you don't necessarily mix your social circles with your work circles. And you might be working with someone whom you only know from work and you don't necessarily know their family situation. You don't know who their children are or if they have children or if the dog is sick or whatever, because it doesn't matter. Yeah. Here in the U.S., work life and social life can be very much yeah. um, intertwined, Twined. right? Correct. In fact, you know, this, where I am right now, this, this building is a great example of it. We have, it's a 24-7 building. It's open, you know, you can come here and work whenever you want. There's, there's showers here, there's a gym here, there's, you know, there's a nurse here, there's a, you can get your pharmacy, uh, pharmaceuticals over here, you, everything is here. They don't want you to go anywhere else. Um, there's a bar here where you can meet people after work and have drinks and it's all for in, um, employees only. So it's interesting how the mindset over here is more about, you know, let's bring our personal lives into work Rather than where in, in, in Austria it's all about, as you said, keep things separate. Work is work, personal life is personal. Now, you also know that this country, the United States, are, when it comes to personal lives, can be sometimes rather contentious when it comes to, well, lifestyles or um, outlook on life or, heaven forbid, political direction, right? So. How much can you bring of your personal life mm -hmm. into the workplace? Can you talk about politics? Can you talk about religion? Can you talk about sex? Oh my yeah. goodness! I said the word. <laughs> can can you talk about those things? Or where 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 is the line drawn? It's an interesting point that you make because definitely when I moved over here, you know, every company that I've worked for, they definitely emphasize not to talk about those no no taboo topics, mm -hmm. right? You. Um, Religion, politics, and sex. Right. Those are three things that you don't talk about. Now, you know, I've, I've not really spent a lot of my professional life in Austria. So, uh, and, and my pro professional interaction was really recent over there. And with the little interaction that I've had, I've noticed that 
politics is less of a taboo. Sex is definitely not a taboo for some reason, which I thought was really strange. Um, and yeah, religion is kind of, you know, you do whatever you want to do. If you want to talk about it, you can talk about it, but nobody really, really gives too much about it. There's not really an identifier in yeah. social life in Central Europe. It's rather, the, the, the societies there tend to be much more secular. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the presence of, of sex, for example, is just, it's just omnipresent. You, you see it in TV ads, you see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas over here, it's definitely a huge taboo. Nobody talks about it. There's no PD, public display of affection. Um, it's, and that, it's that, that is something that struck me as, as very different the first time I came to the US. And now in my work, when I deal with North America, especially from the southern US who are about to go overseas for work and going into Central Europe, I, I try to prepare them for that difference. And I think it's, it's that bipolarity between um, the display of violence mm-hmm. and the display of um, nudity slash sexuality. Yeah. I'm, I'm, when I say that, I'm not saying pornography. I'm saying the, the in European terms, the, the, the PG-13 version of nudity sexuality, mm-hmm. which here in the US is never PG-13. It's either rated R or ra- rated X. Yeah. Whereas the display of violence that you have on television or in computer games or in, in, in movies yeah. in Europe, that is sometimes heavily frowned upon because that's just too much of, of goriness that societies don't allow themselves to show children of a certain age, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's different moral standards and there's different sets of quote-unquote normal, which are normal within, let me use the fish pond analogy again, so it's normal in that fish pond, but not in the other one. Mm-hmm. So you, with your personal and professional background, you've You've swam in multiple ponds, right? Your, your parents come from the Bangladesh pond. You were raised in a Austrian pond. You swim in a Scottish pond, and now you're swimming in the U.S. pond. How is that transition? Have, how was that transition for you throughout your life? Was that easy to transition between those different sets of normal, or did you have hiccups? Definitely lots of hiccups in between. Um, I think, you know... Growing up in Austria, but then at the same time being taught Bangladeshi values is something that it was difficult because you don't, you, you literally have to be taught and told um, to be in a certain way. It's not something that you can just pick up. Um, so I, I picked up the Austrian culture because I lived in Austria. Mm-hmm. But I had to be taught the Bangladeshi culture because right. I was not in Bangladesh. Um, so simple things like, you know, you don't put your feet up towards um, elderly person um, that, you know, or you need to greet um, elderly or someone who's older than you. Um, and you have to listen to older people no matter what they say. And, you know, mm-hmm. can't talk back to them. Mm-hmm. It's it, the, the cultural norms in Bangladesh are very different from Austria. Then when I moved to Scotland, I think um, what I didn't quite understand at first was um, the way simple things like uh, sharing the bill or splitting the bill with someone. It's very different in different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And in Scotland, it's assumed right away that you're going to split. There's nobody, there's no fight over the bill. It's a very Eastern thing to fight over a bill, and I was used to that. 
It's how I saw my dad interact with other people. It's how you build rapport and your position in in that societal context. If you fight for paying the bill, that means you are the senior or you're the... Or it's even a respect thing. You're, you're right. saying, you know what, I, you know, let me handle this because I respect you or I want to take care of you. This is me trying to show. So you paying for my coffee earlier was your sign of respecting me. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful. <laughs> there you go. And then, you know, this a similar thing over here is um, this, I, I don't want to, you know, bad mouth. The, I don't think it's in any way a reflection. I'm, I'm try not trying to say that the American culture is, is, is bad in any way, but it's just different. Mm -hmm. in, in the sense that when I moved over here and, and in that same topic of splitting bills, if you say to someone, let me pay for this, there is no, are you sure? Like, are you, do you have it? There's okay. It's, it's, it's a right away. It's usually, okay, you can, you can take it. They'll right. take you up on the offer. Um, so I've noticed that in the Eastern culture, there's a fight about it. In, in Europe, there's, there's an acknowledgement. And then in the US, I feel like there's not even an acknowledgement. It's just straight up, okay, whatever, you've got it. Yeah. Right. So when you were taught your Bangladeshi values, because you weren't immersed in them, you, you were, well, it was like learning a foreign language almost, I'm assuming. So when you actually went back to Bangladesh with your parents to visit family or friends and you were able to practice what your parents taught you in Vienna, did that always work? Were you good? Were you proficient in Bangladeshi culture when no, you went back? I, I think the main place where I stumbled was gr the whole greeting, greeting aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, it is very common and uh, in fact it's it's a huge faux pas if you go to someone who's elder than you and you don't greet them it's seen as a sign of pure disrespect right um, so yeah there are certain aspects where you know I, I just didn't follow along um, but uh, yeah I mean now that I'm over here, I, I was telling you earlier, there's, there's certain things about me that are inherently Bangladeshi that I will never be able to shake off. Mm -hmm. um, and things that I'm even noticing with my wife now, who's half Palestinian, half American, she finds it really odd that sometimes when I eat curry, I eat with my hands. Right. Um, it's because that's how I was raised and I feel like that's the best way to eat the curry. Um, and your right hand, I'm assuming. With your right hand, yes. yes. Um, and even though she's got an Arab background and has lived in the Arab world, she thinks that that is not appropriate or it's not, it's, it's in fact considered rude in her book. Um, so as I'm going through all these different cultures, I'm, I'm always learning something new about how people see me and how I should behave or how, what I should do. And it's just been really interesting. What would you recommend to people who need to be more agile or more um, competent in navigating between different sets of normal or different cultural environments. Well, having lived through it throughout your life, what are some of the, the tricks or techniques that you would recommend? So for me, I, you know, I think that's a very difficult question. Um, I think for me, it was just about making sure that I'm not, I'm, I hope to, whatever action I take, I hope not to offend others, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, and then in that process, I will learn the norms of that particular culture that I'm in. But, you know, like I said, when I moved over here, um, when it came to paying the bill situation, I went ahead and paid the bill. But then slowly but surely, I figured out, you know, this isn't really the way that it's done over here. Um, but uh, likewise, if, if you're, you know, in, in Bangladesh, um, I, I think that there are certain things that you do over there, which you, you just do it the like, for example, greeting someone. There are particular ways of greeting someone who's in particular older than you. But so long you do, you just greet everyone, which I think is a pretty normal thing to do. You're pretty, you're, you're, you're okay. Um, so I think so is, is it mindfulness, what you're I, describing? Yeah, I think, yeah, mindfulness and polite and, you know, humble um, mm -hmm. um, and then just observant. Um, and so the mindfulness and thoughtfulness and the humbleness will keep you protected from from somebody seeing you in a bad light. Right. And then the observance piece of it allows you to look at what the situation is and then adapt and evolve yourself for the future. Now, I don't want to be painting with too broad of a brush here, but uh, it does sound a little bit like your family values are very Asian in that respect that they, your parents taught you to be mindful, respectful, and, and observant, right? Yeah. Um, now, you were raised in a Western European or Western context, which as we both know, isn't always that. Mm -hmm. um, and there is sometimes this overbearing cockiness, especially in the Anglo-Saxon world. Now, you living in the US now, you've lived in Scotland, and you, your, your family, your cultural background is in one of the former British colonies. Mm -hmm. So the, let's say the Western colonial powers don't necessarily have a strong history of being mindful observant and, and, and humble. Mm -hmm. um, have you found that your um, approach to human interaction has put you at a disadvantage sometimes in the Western context because everybody else is more assertive or elbows out and they don't give a rat's You know, I, maybe it is a bit of a broad brush there because, you know, even in the U.S., which one might consider to be the most abrasive in, in terms of interaction, I think it varies from place to place. Right. So if you're in the South, you see it a lot less, I think, than you'd see it maybe in New York or Chicago. That's right. Um, it's very interesting. And I think those, those cultural differences, obviously, to my humble opinion, comes from um, also immigrants operating in different ways and interacting in different ways and different cultures mixing together. Um, and that's why you have these distinct kind of cultures between the South and the North and even the West. Um, but uh, I don't, I, I, I think uh, it didn't, it's never, I, it never hit me that hard, I would say, when I went, when I came over here to, to the US or when I was in, um, in the UK. It, I never felt like somebody was actually uh, abrasive, if you will. Okay. It was. It was just. Uh, yeah. I just. I, I never felt that really. I mean, there there have been. I think then you know on the flip side there are also individuals that you come across that are 
blunt in the terms in terms of they're they're just mean spirited mm -hmm. and they might say things to you and you just have to take it with stride. Um, but uh, you know, it it varies. But as as the core message that I, I hear from our conversation, so humility is kind of your killer app for for making it work. Then, yeah, I think uh, yeah, humility and and being observant because you want to be polite, but at the same time, you don't want to be taken advantage. Right. Um, and I think in a society where there are people who are maybe a bit more, like you said, you know, putting their elbows out and you know putting themselves first. You need to adjust yourself to that very quickly, um, because if you don't, you're you're just going to fall behind. Um, and I think to to your, I think you're absolutely correct that when I moved over here to the U.S., I definitely needed to do a bit more self promotion, which mm -hmm. I didn't do before. Mm -hmm. I definitely learned over here is where I learned to accept uh, compliments. Mm. Um, it's something that in the Eastern world, I, and I still notice it with, with my parents and with other Bangladeshis, if you pay them a compliment, they'll sometimes, you know, they'll... they'll they defer. They'll, they're, right, yeah, right, they'll right. say, no, 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 you know, obviously I was going to do this because whatnot. Mm. Um, but over here, and, and I learned to actually accept compliments when I came to the U.S. when somebody said, oh, you did good work. I'm like, yeah, thank you. I worked so you owe your greatness. Yeah, you know. Excellent. And it's, it's something that, uh, yes, again, it comes from humility and being observant. So you don't want to, you don't want to just, you know, uh, bulldoze your way through. Uh, but at the same time, you want to learn that when it does, when it is needed, you should adapt yourself. Shadeep. Thank you very much. This was awesome. I learned so much, and I wish we could talk for two hours. Yeah. Um, maybe we should do another episode in for the sure. near future. If people want to get a hold of you, we'll post your LinkedIn profile. So Absolutely. if you click on the show notes, you'll see a link to Shudip's. I hope I'm saying this right. Shudip. Shudip. Yeah. Um, or as the Americans say, Sudip. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you'll see a link to his LinkedIn profile. That's the best way if, um, if you want to reach out or, or continue this conversation without me. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for taking time. And this was insightful. Thank you very much. Shudip Khan. From Vienna as a Bengali import via Scotland and now the southern United States. Check out your little bit of check out the show notes. Go slow, Christian. Check out the show notes to find the link to Shudip's LinkedIn profile. He works in the financial services industry here in Atlanta. And make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the whole shebang. Because we'll keep posting a link to this episode with different pictures of Shidip. One of them will be him skiing. Another one with him in his Austrian national team football jersey. And more. I'm not going to give it away. I want you to check out our social media. 
And also, don't forget to comment, don't forget to share, retweet, like, whatever we do on social media. And if you know somebody that should be on this program and tell their story, send us an email or direct message or you know how this works. And if this is the first time listening to the Culture Guy podcast, there is a Facebook page, there is a Twitter handle, there is a LinkedIn profile for me, there is an Instagram for our company, The Culture Mastery. Follow us, like us, share us. this the culture guy is out for this time new episodes coming soon ciao for now and always remember trust your process and if you don't get culture culture will get you always remember